Welcome to the PreparedX podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the PreparedX podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burton. And just before we get started today, uh, this episode is brought to you by First Look. First Look is a PreparedX self-guided simulation exercise service that allows you to deliver the simulation exercise that is designed by our team of exercise specialists. Or specialists. Uh, check out preparedx.com slash first look for more details. That's preparedx.com slash first look for more details. We'll add some uh, information in the show notes also. Well, today I'm joined by uh, Paul Barker, who is the Operational Resilience Director at Vigilance Consulting uh, in the UK. Vigilance Consulting specializes in robust risk-based frameworks uh, in highly regulated, fast-paced organizations. Uh, Welcome, Paul. Uh, Thank you, Rob. Nice to be here. And just before we get started, Paul, uh, could you dig, dig a little deeper and just let our audience know a little bit more about yourself before we get started? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, my background is is predominantly risk and risk transformation uh, by by history, um, and that's a, you know right across the financial services spectrum. So, whether that's capital markets, investment banking, asset management, private equity, treasury, you know, to be honest, I've I've done most most parts of the financial services industry apart from insurance. Um, you know, and, and in, in doing that, you know, it's one of those things that in recent years, this trend, uh, the way risk management, enterprise risk management is heading, um, brings the operational resilience topic very much into focus. I know it's, it's a different route to some of the more traditional sort of continuity or disaster recovery routes into, into this space, but I still think it's a very relevant one and it's going to be a relevant topic that sticks with us for quite some time. So, you know, glad to be here today talking with you about it, Rob. Great. I appreciate it. Um, uh, We'd like to start off with a current related topic. And of course, one of the biggest challenges right now um, is the issue around the pandemic, COVID-19. And and just from your own personal standpoint, Paul, um, how has it impacted you? What have been the biggest challenges for you, both from a business perspective, but also personally? It's been an interesting year, hasn't it? Um, certainly, a, certainly a very different year, uh, you know, compared to the, the, the 08 financial crisis, um, had a very different look and feel to it. Um, and it, it's been interesting to see just how everybody in every community has been impacted by this year to, to a greater or lesser extent. I guess from a, from a business point of view, as a, as a sort of small independent consultancy, um, the biggest challenge we face this year is deferral. Um, whether it was initially a, a sort of rabbit in the headlights issue or um, an aspiration driven by um, political leaders on both sides of the pond that COVID was, was going to be in and out and something just to, to hunker down and, and get through like a storm. And, and then we pop out the other end and it would be business as usual. Um, that obviously hasn't happened. Um, so that, that, that deferral is a big issue. And that's, it's time that you'll never get back. Mm-hmm. And as a result, 
Uh, it's been quite a lean year for for small independent firms. Yes, yes. Um, certainly the UK government has has sought to, to support and financially help every type of organisation out there, apart from small independent firms. Um, and that's a, a political motivation, um, but it means it's, it's been quite a lean year, uh, which is which is interesting because it, it teaches you to be reflective and, and you know, think about your perspective and think about what is and isn't important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's, it's bigger impact is going to be felt next year, um, especially in the regulatory space, because your, your regulatory deadlines don't change. And if they do change, they're not going to change by much. Sure. And particularly in this space. And yet that time has been spent and the time has gone. And, you know, a lot of clients I work with and a lot of firms I, I, I talk to, they already have quite big books of, of urgent transformation mm-hmm. that a year of not delivering on those will will really have an impact and that will probably be felt one, two, three years down the line. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, that's, uh, there are still in fact some organizations that probably haven't woken up and, and will only feel that pain when it's too late. And, and then they'll have to go out and spend huge amounts of money on a big four consulting project to try and persuade the regulators to, 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 to give them a tick. Uh, but, but certainly um, a big, a big year and a big year where the impact of this year hasn't yet been fully felt, I don't believe. Mm. Um, I, I guess personally, it's been, it's been, I think, somewhat less challenging, if, if I'm completely honest. Uh, working as I do, I'm, I'm, I'm already set up and was already set up to be sort of fully operational from a remote basis. So from that side of things, there hasn't been much much change, um, so I guess for me it's it's more the physical things. Um, you know, I miss not being able to go to the gym and train, mm-hmm. uh, but also going out with the family and exploring uh, different places and, and things on on that nature. And I think that's been the biggest uh, problem in the UK. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, we're, we're a family that loves being outdoors. So, and we, we live in beautiful countryside. So there's been plenty of ways to keep busy. Sure. Um, but I, I certainly, whenever I've talked to people who are either living in cities, um, you know, or, or apartment blocks, uh, I really feel for those guys because, you know, for, for, for me, it's been, you know, worst case scenario, I can sit in the garden. Um, for a lot of people who are stuck in very urban settings, you just don't have that same outside space and, and freedom and fresh air. And I think that, that will have made it a lot more difficult for a lot of people. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. We appreciate that. Um, and as we get into this, um, I think our, you know, for our listeners, um, could you start off by summarizing what operational resilience means to an organization? Yeah, I mean, I mean there's a number of different definitions that you'll see floating around. Um, and in fact, I actually one of, one of my preferred definitions is the one that, that came out in the in the August uh, U.S. regulatory paper, which was just a, a, a discussion paper more than a, a new legislation. Uh, and if I quote it, it said that it's the ability of an organization to deliver operations, including critical operations and core business lines through a disruption from any hazard. Now, 
I, I like that. Some of the UK definitions have been a little tighter um, in that they, they and they a, a little bit more legacy in their thinking. If you think back to, to sort of security days, it was all about, you know, defense. It was all about protect, secure, yep. recover, restore, go backwards, um, you know, and, and be what you were before. And, and for me, what's changed and what's changing, certainly within the global view, is that this isn't about stopping the clock, rewinding and going back to an earlier time. It's about rapidly learning the lessons from what's happening around you to, to withstand. And I think that's a key word in resilience is about withstand whatever's thrown at you and, and kind of a bit, a bit of a, a carry on regardless um, type of mentality in there. And I think a really good analogy for it that I that I often use is is a lighthouse. And we've all, all seen those 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 posters of you know you see the lighthouse and there's these huge tumultuous waves yeah, smashing yeah. up against its walls, um, and yet that light is still on, blinking, still guiding mariners safely around the hazards. Right. You know, and whatever the weather's thrown at it, it just carries on. You know, time after night after night, showing its light and guiding mariners safely home and i think that's that's a really good image to it hold is, yeah. of, of your company is if your company can be that lighthouse you know and whether it's the element of your service or, or goods that 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 deliver something to customers and satisfy a need or it's your participation in the wider eco economic sort of marketplace i think that's a really good way to think about it you know you're not bending and flexing you're standing there you know and you, you've you've thought about things in advance and you've been designed you know it's resilient by design so right. that you're there to withstand whatever's thrown at you i love that i really like that yeah i, I may uh, i may have to use that as well and i'll quote you every time i use it paul that's a good one <laughs> <laughs> well it's good because you, you think about it and that's you know a, a firm does two things at the micro level they provide the goods and services to the customers their direct customers but then at a macro level, they're part of this wider ecosystem. Right. And, and that wider ecosystem, which is the marketplace and the economy, takes its strength from each component within that being robust. So when you look at operational resilience and you bolt it together with what's been the focus of both firms, boards and supervisors um, for the last 10 years since the financial crisis, uh, which is the financial resilience, and we've seen that with SOX, uh, and, and that sort of regulation to really, you know, bolster quality on the financial reporting side, we end up with with resilient enterprises. So it's this organisational resilience, which has a, both a financial and an operational component. And that for me is the lighthouse, um, you know, because then it's good for consumers, it's good for the employees, yeah. but it's also good for the shareholders and the wider market. So it's 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 the absolute opposite of a zero sum game. It's it's the win win. Excellent, excellent. Um, so in terms of impact, then um, <clears throat> from you know a business uh, business's perspective, um, if they don't have that strong operational resilience and those practices in place. Um, you know, how could they be impacted? So, you know, do you have some examples um, of how an organization may be impacted or some real life examples, maybe? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny one because um, the impact is nothing. 
all the way up until the point that it is, right? This is not this is not something that's a sort of a, a, you know you won't see a marginal decline in your market share you won't see you know gradual cost rising uh and, and and these kind of kind of typical indicators that that there's a trend away from what your your business is doing you'll, you'll actually just merrily carry on doing what you're doing right up until the point that something trips you up mm-hmm. and it's only then that you'll potentially realize what you haven't invested in um so I think I think that's something that, that that really stands it out, and the trouble is by that point it's often too too late, um, and you, you see this you know when you have an incident of that sort of magnitude, that is enough to call your your overall resilience in, into into question. And, and here let's remember we're talking about either something that that is materially impacting the viability of your organisation. Or it can be wider than that, threatening the systemic strength of the marketplace in which you operate. Right. Um, so, you know, this isn't that the, the power's gone down for, for a couple of hours or the manufacturing line has stopped for, for 20 minutes. You know, this is these are significant uh, incidents and, and COVID is a great example of that. Yep. Um, what, so what you're likely to find overnight um, can be a loss of trust. Um, and if it's a, a, a series of small incidents mm-hmm. that might start waving some red flags for people, um, or if it's one of these sort of catastrophic events, then, you know, immediately that loss of trust can be instant and permanent. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's customers walking away um, because there's no shortage of choice these days, right. whether it's your suppliers, your third parties, your shareholders, um, and indeed, you know, before the event actually happens, if, if the, the winds of change are, are evident, it's about when your employees walk away, you know, uh, you can end up with a complete failure of, of the enterprise. And, and that's going to happen more and it's going to hurt you more if the overall health of the organization is a threat. Right. Mm-hmm. So, again, let's yeah. wind this back to COVID. So those people with underlying conditions are always going to suffer the consequences of COVID more than anyone else. So let's look at that. How, how do we? How does that organisationally? So um, you've got in the retail space, you've got people like J.C. Penney, Nyman Marcus, who've, who've filed for Chapter Eleven this year, citing COVID. But but those firms had a lot of debt on their books, right? So they were already running quite close to their their financial resiliency. Mm-hmm relying on the fact that we were in whilst it was quite austere it was quite a stable economy it was quite predictable so we thought or so people thought you know and and they just kind of assumed that this low interest rate you know relatively stable environment was just going to persist and persist and that they could work their way out of their problems you know through leverage and it's just not the case um and you know and whilst they've not actually gone under you know they have fired for that chapter 11 so that you know they're quite close to, to to collapsing, and on the flip side, you've got somebody like IKEA um, or IKEA, depending on, on, on right. where you come from. Yeah. Um, you know, and and our experience of, of of that organization, certainly in the UK, I have never seen something that is as close to a medical grade COVID secure environment to continue doing business. Super automated. Mm-hmm super organized more efficient than actually going into the shop 
um, the system they've got going now. And, and you've got a car park full of people and you know everyone's doing everything by text. It's going through, the right stuff appears at your car and it's just superb. And, and you just look at it and you think they have got it right. They've either had this as a scenario right, and they've considered it in advance or they've had the type of organizational culture which is then open to not saying, oh dear, this has happened, what are we going to do? Right. They've taken it on board as, okay, this has happened. How do we continue selling flat plat furniture to people? Right, yeah. It's not, it's not can we, it's how do we? And yeah. that's a really important question. Yeah, that would be um, interesting to, you know, try and get a little bit deeper on that and find out how, you know, if they did have that advanced, um, you know, forethought of uh, running scenarios, right, and saying, okay, we, you know, if if we do lose, you know, a certain amount of supply, or if we lose a building, or if we lose, you know, some of our infrastructure, you know, how do we, you know, continue? So you suspect there might be some of uh, the advanced planning um, of already being play there, because how, did it take them long to turn that around? Is that was that a long well, process I, and, for them? And that's where I think it was probably a sum and sum yes. um, situation with them, and in that they had both the right type of approach but they also were, were well organized because it, it didn't take them too long to do it, but it wasn't something they were able to switch to immediately. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in terms of, you know, they had their reliance on, um, on their online shop and their, and their, their delivery capability to kind of say, well, you know, this is how we keep going in the meantime. Sure. Uh, but, you know, but that, that's no different from, from, you know, Marcus Nyman as well have have major online uh, and and e trading op operations within their their organisation. So you know, it, it's about how you use it, not just having it. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's 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 the trick of it is how do you then leverage that capability? Whether it's you know to do things remotely, to do things in a more automated fashion. Um, but you know, you also see there has to be an element in there where they have got the right management thinking because they're also thinking about the safety and security of their staff and their employees mm -hmm. as well as their customers. And it's so evident throughout the process um, that, that you just have to admire it. And I, I'd love them to put together a case study, yeah. you know, at some point in the future and, and publish it. I think it would be an interesting one to follow. Yeah, great example. Like that one. Thanks for sharing. Um, okay, as we move on, then let's talk a little bit, a uh, little bit more detail around um, what an operational resilience program looks like. And um, just for our listeners, what are some of those core components that make up a robust program? Mm, okay. Um, so I, I don't know that whether there's I don't know that there's necessarily an order of things. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think you just have to have, you know, some people will start a jigsaw puzzle by um by getting the corners and the edge pieces together and then yeah. in the middle. Yeah. Other people will just sort of find an object that they can recognize from the, the box lid and, and just go from there. Yeah. So I think as long as you've got the pieces, the you know, the right number of pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. I don't know that it necessarily matters in which order you, you stand them up, but I think some of them have got some logic to them. So um, I think that for me, that one of the biggest components is about having a transparent enterprise architecture. 
Um, and it's something that I think an awful lot of firms do not possess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where, and, and, and here I'm talking both um, across the sort of the, the, the information security and cyber space, but also in terms of the business and operational space. How many organizations out there have clear process and data maps that, that integrate um, for your own operations, but also have that clear picture and landscape of, of the operations that you outsource or that your third party vendors and supply chain have in place. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for many people having that clear view uh, in a way that can be interrogated and, and you know, can you have that double click? Can you have that deep dive on that one component and, and search down to see where the, the, the interdependencies are where the associations are, what's what are the support processes that link to that? You know, that's that that journey into you know something whether it's TOGAF or something like that. You know, is is a journey that's still early days for a lot of companies. Yeah. But I think if you haven't got it, it's the sort of thing where uh, an investment in that would would certainly bring multiple benefits, not least to the operational resilience. So, effectively, if you can if you can map your jigsaw out. Um, you then have to organize how you're going to put that jigsaw together. Um, and that's where having um, lean governance and effective internal controls. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're, if you're taking the, we're doing the edges and corners first, you don't want some people who are helping out with the jigsaw to be starting to do the middle big, big feature piece at, at the same time. Right. You, know, you want to make sure that you're following those rules. It's clear you know, a lot, there's a lot of governance out there and there's a lot of regulatory driven governance, but a lot of it's quite heavy, you, you know, it's, it's quite heavy and burdensome. Um, does it get in the way or does it help? And that's the question you really have to ask yourself, you know, from a governance perspective. But if you've got those, those internal controls and an appropriate governance structure, you've got the ability to gain those early warning indicators and see you know, that, that forward look and, and, and get the sense of where those vulnerability and stresses are in your operation. Mm-hmm. And not only can you find those early, you've then, because of the governance, you've got the ability to do something about it. Right. Right. Because how many, how many times have we all worked somewhere where, you know, you've seen an error, you've seen an error, you've seen an error. Well, let's escalate it. Let's report it up the chain. And it disappears off into some yep. you know, other inbox somewhere, yep. never to be seen again. Right, and and that's the that's the problem, but it's also the solution is breaking down those barriers and making sure that that when you're collecting this data, when you're when you've got all these indicators, that you're actually taking notice of them and doing something about it. So what strings those together is the third component, um, and I think I, I'd say there's probably five overall. So the third component is taking an enterprise approach to risk management. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know there are there are different models for for ERM out there, yeah. um, but it's about not being myopic. You know, too many organisations uh, and and those within financial services are are particularly bad at this, uh, but it's not unique. Um, boards are very happy to talk about market risk they're happy to talk about credit risk they're happy they're certainly happy to talk about liquidity it's a very familiar topic to them when you look across you know the range of operational non-financial risks that exist now you know just just covering all bases is a huge task trying to understand them 
is is virtually impossible for an individual so there has been that tendency to kind of either aggregate or brush some of those under the carpet but what yeah. we're seeing now is those are the things that are really coming up to bite us so you want that truly enterprise approach where you're being holistic and you're looking at the correlations between some of your financial and your non-financial risks and really driving that forward. And I think if you've got that, you've probably got quite a good platform, um, you know, on which to, to build a lot of the rest and, and knit some of these capabilities together. Yeah. And um, fourth thing I'd say, um, you know, most, most firms have them. Uh, hopefully most people who are, are, are dialing into this um, will think be already be thinking historically about both business continuity and cyber resilience or you know which I, I'd include disaster recovery in that so yep. you know these, these classic features yeah but my question is this do they speak the same language mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing you know have your business continuity team operated in silo from your cyber security team yep. because they're both doing tests they're both doing impact assessments they're both doing risk assessments they're both coming up with alternative solutions but they may have different perspectives they may have different lenses and they almost certainly have different language that they're using to describe very similar situations right so it's not about necessarily for, for many people developing those capabilities it's about tying them together and making sure that they're speaking you're cross-pollinating your skill set um, and, and getting to a unified understanding is this sort of common operating picture. Um, that you know, that, that, that's really interesting because this, this comes up, <clears throat> I would say, you know, fairly often in these crisis simulation exercises we, we do where we bring that cross-functional team together from the enterprise. And when we, we, we start to, you know, run through scenarios and one area of the business all of a sudden is talking to the other area of the business and saying well hold on a second um i think you know we actually do some of that and um you know we should we should have an offline discussion or we well, we often hear about yeah we need to talk offline about that and um and so that comes up you know i would say in almost you know m you know every um you know simulation exercise where you've got those silos working together uh, for the first time or you know for the first time that year maybe because some organizations will take that approach um so it's really interesting that um, that you mentioned yeah, that because we see that all think, the time yeah and and things like threat detection i think is a really great example you know you you're, you're doing a lot of threat detection so you're searching for your keywords you know, whether you're looking on the dark web, whether you're, you're going through social media or everything, this is marketing opportunity in there as well, right? It's not just oh, about- Oh yeah, for sure, yeah. Not just about threat defenses. And it, and you're right, it's sometimes it's only these scenarios, whether it's, you know, crisis simulation or a BC exercise, you're actually bringing these people together who've got these powerful tools that if those tools were, were, were could be redeployed very easily to bring an even greater synergistic benefit to the organization rather than just being a, you know, a cost of security, um, there's actually an opportunity in there. And I think that's one of the, you know, that's been one of the big things that we've talked about in the shift from security to resilience. You know, it's in English, it's about, you know, it's less playing the forward defensive stroke and right. actually going out there and hitting some sixes, you know, it's about finding the opportunity um, in the adversity. And I think that's, that's so important. And it's, it's great that this is, you know, resilience is giving firms that opportunity um, 
you know, to, to bring together formerly siloed, formerly disparate specialities who actually have a greater degree of commonality than they perhaps historically realized. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that, I guess, leads me to my last sort of component, if you like, um, and it's about the right culture. Um, you know, and, and this is something that I talk a, 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 about an enormous amount. If you've got the right culture within your organization, then irrespective of whether you've got the right controls giving you the, the setting the, the alarm bell off or whatever, you've got that ability for somebody in your firm to have a good idea and it get through to the place where something can be done about it. Now, who knows at IKEA whether that came from the board or a member of shop staff, right? Right. That idea could have come from anywhere and good ideas can come from anywhere. So if you've got, you know, a blame culture, if you've got um, a a very hierarchical hippo, highest paid person's opinion culture, um, and you've got all these sort of minions sitting there doing, you know, beavering away at work, looking busy, presenteeism, you know, and everyone's sitting there playing solitaire and looking like they're busy. Um, You're missing a huge amount of opportunity, both from a resilience point of view, because people think, oh, that's gone off, never mind, eh? no one will listen to me anyway. Whereas if you've got the flip side of that, if people are properly engaged, if if people feel properly bought into the organisation and its objectives, then you're going to get a better representation. You're going to get better involvement in your simulation exercises. You're going to get your awareness training is going to have more impact because people are bought into the concept. They have the shared vision and they understand that this is, you know, what's good for them is good for the customers is good for the shareholders. You know, they get an ongoing job. Um, Customers get better products. There are fewer complaints, fewer errors. What's not to like. Right. So I think, you know, that's, that's a really important piece. And, and, and that's why I said with those five components, it doesn't matter where you start, but I think you need to cover those sort of five fundamental bases. Um, and, and if you get that, I think you're in a really good place to, to move forward. Excellent. Thanks for that. Um, okay. You've, I think you've touched on a few of them, but are there several, uh, what kind of challenges are there in terms of creating and maintaining, you know, such a, a robust program? I think you've touched on some of them from a, you know, certainly from a governance standpoint and from, you know, from this being kind of driven from a top-down approach. Um, what, what other types of challenges do organizations face when trying to you know, create and maintain these programs? Um scale i think i think is is terrifying um to a lot of people i think um that 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 lack of preparation and the the failure to do the hard yards yep um you know that that incites fear um and uncertainty because when someone says okay this happens what do you do you're unprepared for that question. And when you're unprepared for that question, you tend to get the fear and you tend to get a knee-jerk reaction. Um, You get a poor decision. You get an ill-informed decision. And if if the wrong person is making that decision, and by being the wrong person, I mean an ill-informed person who has authority, um, you know, and you must have seen it plenty of times in your, your crisis exercises, you know, it's the it's the boss with with no control. 
mm-hmm. uh, and they're off making decisions because that's what they believe they're there to do. Right. But they're not receiving information and they're not absorbing that information. And that's that can be more dangerous than the initial incident itself. Um, yep. And certainly if you go off in the wrong direction. So I think that's, that's a huge part. Um, you know, I think there's all sorts of, you know, technical hurdles um, when you actually get down to the to the nuts and bolts of of implementing it for your organization. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is driven because, um, you know, whatever regulations or guidance are out there is is outcomes based and principles based yep. rather than prescriptive. I think a lot of people are used to being told what to do, um, and and what you're given here is a series of conundrums. Um, so if you're not the type of person, um, you know, as I am, who, who loves a challenge and loves a, to, to solve a problem, um, that can be quite uncomfortable. And certainly from a, uh, it might be being making a sweeping a, sort of generalization, but a, a lot of people in operations are quite comfortable with the sort of repetitive nature and perishable nature of, of what they do. But it's, you know, it's get up and rinse, repeat last week. Um, yeah. uh, and, and if, if, you're asking people who are have by nature be comfortable with that in in normal non-stress times to then suddenly become totally different people in stress times and right. i think you've got to really recognize where that might be a vulnerability and either find some you know different ways to train people or some different people to inject you know almost a break glass in case of emergency right to really avoid falling into some of those pitfalls that you might find, you know, when when the, you know, when the event actually materializes. Right. Great. Um, we as we start to wrap up here, <clears throat> great discussion. I appreciate uh, your time, Paul. Um, we always like to end um, for those listeners that are familiar with PreparedX. We always like to end uh, with something around simulation exercises because that's our our core business here at PreparedX. Uh, we'd love to hear a story from you, Paul. Uh, one of your experiences, maybe, and it could be from either preparing or conducting an exercise, or, or just a personal experience from being involved with one. Maybe a, a funny um, story story or, or a lesson that you learned from uh, from your experience sure um i mean in, in addition to some of my corporate work i've also spent quite a lot of time the last couple of years working um with with the local primary school um where what's that an elementary school for americans is it um my my local uh, school for little ones yeah. Um, and in helping them develop and build their operational resilience capability over the last 12 to 18 months, which was extraordinarily prescient in, in many respects. Um, so, it, and the good thing about this story is it's, it's been really educational for me, uh, no pun intended, um, <laughs> to see how different, you know, about those differences. I'm used to working in the corporate environment where certain things are taken for granted, um, certain skill sets and, and levels, um, you know, just happen to be there more often than not. Um, and yet, you know, by the same token, you know, I've worked in some some fairly big companies who are still run on PowerPoint and Excel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in some ways, we're quite fortunate that this school has had an ability to quite significantly upgrade their tech uh, in anticipation of adopting a, a more remote working model. So, um, you know, they, they're quite advanced interactive whiteboards that can connect and do video as well as the, 
the kind of um, you know uh, automatic scribing and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, talking about transitioning to Office 365, which is quite a big deal in the education sector, yeah. um, as well as looking more infrastructure-wise at the network and you know upgrading their sort of you know mesh mesh Wi-Fi capabilities, you know, across the school, um, and and because they're um, part of a, a government-funded sort of agency, they have the ability to to requisition this stuff, but we still don't like spending money that we don't need to. Right. So, you know, in the in the spirit of a business case, we thought, well, let's do a let's do a simulation exercise here um, to demonstrate and, and kind of prove that the existing capabilities were inadequate. And and what we were looking for was, you know, the Wi-Fi is not strong enough. Um, you know, the computers are too slow you know they don't they don't work quickly enough for video you know and these sort of technical things that we were looking to prove mm -hmm. um you know and for some reason we decided to volunteer the, the rest of our board of governors um to 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 simulate the students and teachers uh in this exercise and, and i'll never do it again um <laughs> but yeah so we so we had this this dry run of remote working so we spread some of the governors around different parts of the school site and we had some sitting at home um, and bearing in mind, this was January this year, um, you know, Zoom back then wasn't, you know, the, 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 the ready brand right. that people spend most of their working lives on that it is today. Right. Um, so, so we were just going to simply, can we all connect via Zoom and have um, effectively the delivery of a presentation and Q&A, uh, which should replicate uh, a lesson uh, and engagement with students. Um, and what followed can only be described as a, as a Marx Brothers sketch uh, between a combination of, of you know, internet blind spots, um, the, the classic you're on mute, um, which has to be, have become the quote of 2020, um, uh, as well as some humans that I realised should never have been put uh in front of a computer and there there is an, a, an acronym of picnic which is problem in chair not in computer and my good apply <laughs> to these guys um and, and you know far from from proving that we had technical ability uh, or disabilities that we needed to overcome um the real lesson actually of of this exercise was don't neglect the human side hmm. um, because our people um, were completely unprepared for this. Now, you and I, you, you know, and many, many of your listeners quite au fait with, with video calling, remote working, you know, for the last 10, 15 years. Right. Um, and it's easy just to assume that everybody is like that. Right. But we have to remember that the, the teaching business um, is, is highly contact. It's highly face-to-face -face for the last you know, hundred years yep. and technology really hasn't sort of seeped in, in the same way as it has in the private sector. Yep. And it, it, it made such a difference of, of a lesson to not neglect the human side. Um, you know, cause you, you get caught up in, in whether you're doing it strategically or tactically, it's like you're moving chess pieces around the chessboard. Um, but if your people don't have the skills um, and they don't have, they're not bought into the shared vision and they're not willing to upskill, mm. you know, to do things differently and to think about it as just a different way of doing the same thing. 
it will be a real uphill battle. And the fact that we were able to learn that lesson with the governors meant that when we came to deliver this as a new working proposal to the teaching staff, we had already learned that lesson very valuably. Right. Um, and, and made sure that we started it with the human side and then just drip fed the technology in, which right. really helped right. to demystify some of the fear of delivering my lesson to a camera with a little blue light on it instead of a, a, a class of 30 children. Right. So, you know, um, you know, it was it was hilarious if you were there. It was quite embarrassing that a group of professionals couldn't, you know, couldn't summon up the will to, to speak to each other um, via technology. But, you know, we've learned a lot of lessons. And I have to say that by now in where are we late November, uh, all of those governors are regularly meeting online um, and, and we're having all of our doing all of our governance completely virtually. Um, and it's it's like we've been doing it for years. So, right. you know, old dogs can learn new tricks. Yeah, they can. Well, that's a great lesson and uh, a great way to uh, end this discussion. Uh, really appreciate that. So thanks for your time uh, today, Paul. What a fantastic discussion. Um, do you have any final comments for our listeners? And also, I'm sure there'll be a few uh, folks out there would love to uh, connect with you on social media, maybe LinkedIn or something. Yeah, um, I guess my, my, my mantra is, is don't overcomplicate things. Um, you know, if you find yourself disappearing down a rabbit hole, bring yourself back to the fundamentals because when all said and done, you know, as, as humans, we're, we're, you know, built to survive. And if you take a breath and you think about it logically and sensibly and pragmatically, the answer will come to you. So don't panic, don't overcomplicate, keep it simple. Um, so that, you know, that's my kind of final word on that. In terms of, of, of reaching out, you can, uh, LinkedIn is, is pretty much where I, I do a lot of my stuff. Um, you can, more than welcome to connect with me uh, on LinkedIn. Um, you can follow my hashtag resilience through vigilance, um, or I'm sure um, people listening could, could reach out through PreparedX, Rob, yes. and, and I'm yep. sure you'll um, be happy just to, to pass any of those connections through. Uh, and I'd be happy to connect and and chat further with people. Yeah, and we'll we'll yeah for sure we will, and we'll certainly add uh, your uh, contact info uh, into the show notes. So uh, no problem there, Paul. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, again, thank you for your time today, Paul. Um, this was a great discussion. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Brilliant. Been great to be here, and thank you, Rob. Yeah, thanks. Well, that's it. Uh, episode 80 complete. I can't believe we've uh, managed 80 of these podcasts now. Um, so if you enjoyed it, uh, please comment or rate us on iTunes or any of the other podcast outlets where you might be listening to this. Obviously, there's as many of those now. So uh, or if you're listening via our website, we'd love to hear from you. There's a space right there underneath this recording where you can add a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, stay safe out there. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>